invite you to turn to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, that's where we're looking this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, just this small little book tucked in there at the end of our Old Testament is just um, packed with spiritual truth, is it not? Um, And also relevant to us today in the 21st century, which is obviously what we want to take from it, as well as understanding what was happening at the time. I want to read to you a little, I guess you could call it a poem. See if you agree. Bad is easy. Good is hard. Talking is easy. Listening is hard. Watching TV is easy, but reading is hard. Fab is easy, muscle is hard. Stop is easy, go is hard. Day is easy, clean is hard. Take is easy, give is hard. Lying is easy, truth is hard. Can I hear an amen so far? Sleeping is easy. Waking is hard. Talking about God is easy, but praying to God is hard. Holding a grudge is easy. Forgiving is hard. Telling a secret is easy. Keeping a secret is hard. Falling is easy. Getting up is hard. Spending is easy. Saving, it's hard. Eating is easy. Dieting is hard. Doubt is easy. Faith is hard. Criticizing is easy. Taking criticism is hard. Pride is easy. Humility is hard. Borrowing is easy. But paying back is hard. Cowardice is easy, bravery is hard, sarcasm is easy, sincerity is hard, and F is easy, and A, it's hard. Growing weeds is easy, growing flowers is hard. Following is easy, leading, that's hard. And to that list I'd add another. Sin is easy. Holiness and righteousness is hard. I think what you're going to see this morning as we look to these next nine verses in Haggai 2 is really that message. Sin is easy, but righteousness is hard. Look with me at verse 10. On the 24th day, in chapter 2 this is, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, and we understand that it's 520 BC. And just a footnote, we are, we are looking here at happenings that happened over 2,500 years ago in history. And it's just a reminder that the same God today is the God of 520 BC. He's the same God who sends his word. He's the same God that stirs up his people to obedience. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And thus says 
says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Here's the point, verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed upon stone, in the temple of the Lord. How did it fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was made, consider, is there seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, God says, I will bless you. If we just have our next uh, slide here, um, just an outline of the different messages. Oh, just if you could go back. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Five messages, and uh, the one in red is where we are today. The first message that came to the people was a message which confronted their apathy and their indifference. The temple was lying in ruins while they were busy with their panelled houses. And they were not concerned anything about God's temple being in ruins, but their whole focus, preoccupation, was with their own agenda. And it's as if the New Testament words of Jesus would apply to what Haggai was saying in that first message. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get your priorities straight. Worry about the Lord and his will and his agenda more than your own. And praise God the people listened, didn't they? And God sent his second message at the end of chapter 1 there, and it was a word of encouragement. They obeyed, they listened to the word of God, and God said, Behold, I am with you. And then God, in the, as they began their obedience, and it was less than a month, God could see that there was a potential problem, which would be the fly in the ointment, or the spanner in the works, if you like, to use a Kiwi saying, that would potentially drop, stop the work from going forward again. And he could see that there was older folk within their midst who had remembered the temple of former times, Solomon's temple, and just how great and glorious it was. And he could see the potential for these older ones to discourage the younger ones who'd never seen the older temple. Now, why would they be discouraged? Because when they compared what they were building at the present time with the temple, the older people remembered, they considered that the present work was just nothing compared it was paltry it was pitiful 
compared to what the glory they remembered, the Shekinah glory in Solomon's temple, where they, when they did have the Ark of the Covenant, but now they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, the Indiana Jones story about where the Ark is is not the one to go by. encouraged them in potential discouragement he gave them hope and said you know what what you are doing now is of value to me I'm taking glory and I'm taking pleasure in what you're doing because you're seeking to honour my name and therefore in one day my glory will fill this place beyond what it ever did in Solomon's time so don't be discouraged be encouraged and now Three months after they began, two months basically after the last message, December 18th, 520. And by the way, the Hebrew calendar is different to our calendar. And that's why I've got the translation here. In the ninth month, in the Hebrew way of thinking, was actually December in our thinking. So here we are. Three months after they started building, two months after they received that word, don't be discouraged, carry on building. They had been building. They had experienced the encouragement of God. The work was moving ahead and there perhaps was a tendency for many of the people to start to sit on their laurels and begin to think that all is fine now between our nation and the Lord. That's the way it works, isn't it? Once you get started into something and uh, the beginning is made, there's a tendency to drop down your guard and think that everything's fine. And I think this is what's going on here. Let me see if I can paint it a little bit more deeply. It's as if Haggai is saying this. You people are going to be tempted or even have begun starting to think that as long as we as a nation keep doing the right thing outwardly by focusing on the temple and making our efforts there, therefore God will always be pleased with us and we as a nation will be exempt from his displeasure. Why? Because we're, we're outwardly working on the temple. Therefore, God's not going to bring his chastening against us. Therefore, everything is peaches and cream, spiritually. They were thinking that because, watch this, we are doing holy work on the holy temple, we can therefore presume that we are holy people in God's sight. Holiness is easy. Righteousness, you just have to turn up at the temple and put down a few stones and perhaps take your shift and offer your sacrifices there. It's, it's just easy. You just have to do that outwardly. And God is saying through Haggai, don't presume that everything is pleasing to God just because you're doing the outwardly right thing. Just because you're outwardly involved in a noble work and one directly related to the kingdom of God. Understand this, that holiness is connected with the inward as well. It's a total life commitment of both your outward hands and also your inward heart to the Lord. You're not yet free from the chastening hand of God on your nation. You once lived purely for your own agenda, 
Your own panelled houses were the focus while God's house remained in ruins. Now you've begun to give attention to God's priorities, but beware, lest your obedience becomes just outward ritual and one that you think will be a remedy and atonement for an unsanctified heart. Can you see yourself? Can I see myself in this text? I think think it's pretty easy. In the sense that we are all too easily deceived to think that because we are involved in Christian work, therefore God is pleased with that in and of itself. We forget that God's standard of holiness is not one that is partial, but one that is total. Is it possible that people could have said, yeah, I'm going to give my attention to the work on the temple and I'm going to be involved in that and I'll do that at certain times, but the rest of my time I'm going to go back to my panelled houses and really it's going to look like I'm more focused on the temple work, but really my own agenda the rest of the time is going to remain the same. I think that's possibly what was happening. Come with me to 1 Samuel 15 just for a moment, and I think this is a good illustration of the point. 1 Samuel 15. Verse 13. It's a sad story. It's a sad account of this man Saul who began so well and finished so poorly. I did want to pray before I preach this morning, so can I just pray briefly before we read here? Lord, as we come to your word today, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be at work among us. Lord, that the message of your word would not fall on deaf ears, that we would each take something today, Lord, from your Spirit, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And here you have Saul in verse 13. He's been confronted by Samuel. God had sent him on a mission and Saul didn't fully fulfill that mission. And verse 13 picks it up. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? You remember that God told them to wipe out all the spoil, take none of the spoil. That was the issue. Saul says, I've obeyed. Samuel says, why do I hear the bleating of sheep? Verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? 
And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king from Amalek, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, and here it is, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul says, I obeyed. In fact, this is the first thing he said to Samuel. Samuel says, you know, you disobeyed. You were partial in your obedience to the Lord. And as a result, the consequences are massive. The Lord has rejected you as king. You come to the New Testament and Jesus said to some people in Matthew 15, he said it this way, he said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far from me. They were singing, they were praising God outwardly, but God knew that their hearts were a million miles away from the connection with what they were actually saying. It was unacceptable. It was hypocrisy. And so Haggai puts his finger on this danger, this danger of presumption. And so to to sharpen the point, he conducts what I would call an ancient documentary in order to bring to light this issue that obedience must be total and that holiness is more than just outwardly doing what looks right. He asked the Levitical priests for an official answer to a couple of simple questions. You remember the um, priests in the Old Testament? It was their role to interpret the law of God. They were to preserve the knowledge of God's word. And so if someone had a question about obeying God, where would you go? To the priests. And if the priests were following the Lord, if the priests were onto it, they would be able to give you an answer to whatever question that came. And so God asked for an official ruling on these two questions, if you come back to Haggai. It becomes very simple. And the priests, by the way, do get the right answer. Some of the background verses uh, to what's happening here are Leviticus 22, verses 4 to 6, Numbers 19, 11 to 21, perhaps Leviticus 6, verse 18 and 27. These are the sources from which the priests would have given their answer. God's not asking them questions that the Word of God didn't reveal, but that which He had revealed. And my first point today is simply this, that Righteousness is not contagious. Sin is easy and holiness is difficult. Why? Because holiness and righteousness is not contagious. Here's the first question. Ask the priests about the law, verse 11. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of of food, does it become holy? 
Okay, holy food, touching a holy garment, and touches something else, does that automatically transfer holiness to everything it touches? The priest's answer is very clear. No. No, it doesn't. Holiness is not contagious. Righteousness is not contagious. Here's an, here's an example. There's a hospital. And so in order to fix the problem with the sick people at Waikato Hospital, what we need is healthy people to turn up there. And the healthiness of the people will rub off on the sickness of the people and people will be well again, right? No. Um, maybe if you're a mum or a dad and your child plays rugby in the winter, <clears throat> during the <clears throat> during the rainy season, and um, he starts off that rugby match with a clean rugby jersey, and eight minutes later, the cleanness of that rugby jersey has been transformed, has transformed the field. Right? No. In fact, as I was walking in today, I picked up perhaps an object. Listen, I found an apple. Okay, is any young person would like and like this apple? Anyone here hungry today? This apple's rotten. It's ruined. There still may be good in it, but in terms of a wholeness, healthy apple that you would buy at the supermarket and enjoy, it's no longer. In fact, it's been pecked a little bit by birds here. If you've got a if you've got a bag full of rotten apples, do you fix the problem by putting a good, juicy, whole apple in there? Obviously not. You see, we understand these things, don't we? So simply, there is what's called in physics the second law of thermodynamics, and it basically means this: that everything in the universe, in terms of energy and order, is running down, right? It's running down. You, you make a cup of coffee, you put it on the shelf. Sometimes my wife makes me a cup of tea, and uh, I'm in the habit at the moment of just, at the moment for the last 10 years of marriage, leaving it and finding it kind of 20 minutes later and saying, oh, my cup of tea, and by that stage it's, it's cold. And, um, and I leave it initially because I don't like it too hot. I like to be able to drink the tea, not sip the tea. It's just a personal preference, but... Things run down, don't they? I just take your your family vehicle, uh, the people mover, perhaps. I'm sure Paul could agree with me here. Does it naturally transform from a state of disorder in terms of the the uncleanness and the lack of tidiness and order within the people mover? Put the kids in there, and it instantly becomes clean. No, I mean I don't know how long I spent the other day with lollipop sticks and crushed sweets and so forth and every now and then you've got to get in there and do the hard yards to bring order out of disorder right and it's like that with your bedroom at home I'm sure and um, your garage garage I lived in America for a while while unholiness is Sorry, while holiness is not contagious, here's the flip side. Sin is. Sin is. Sin naturally 
takes its course. It's just the way of the world. It's the way this fallen world operates. Righteousness flows against that current. That's why it's always difficult. We talk, we talk about a salmon, don't we? That as a Christian, we're like the salmon because we've got to flow and we've got to swim against the flow of the current, against it, up it, up the rapids sometimes. It's not the natural way of the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, doesn't he, that be ye not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, if, you, if you're not in the Word, if you're not in prayer asking for the Lord's grace, if you're not fellowshipping with other believers in more than just a formal way, uh, by that I mean just on a Sunday, or those that's helpful, or maybe at a prayer meeting during the week or something else, some other Bible study, that fellowship, we're all like little batteries, and when we come together and we're significantly together, as a church, we influence each other as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens one another. It's one of the reasons we have our men's study, one of the reasons we have resolved and other things. And I know that we're uh, there's other ministries that we can look at and home groups and so forth that we're going to look at in the future, but let's not run before we can walk. Let's not bite off more than we can chew and let's seek to do the few things that we're doing well, as best we can, but fellowship is so important. But unless we, unless we are living for the Lord and walking close with the Lord and with the Lord's people who are also walking with Him, the natural course is to, natural course is to flow the other way, and the world becomes a friend. Sin is contagious. Let's see the second question. Verse thirteen. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now here's the point. Here's the documentary. They've got the panel of experts. The priests have given the answers to the questions that have been posed to them. And now God brings the kicker. God brings the point, the application. God says... We can just carry on. Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now, it's a little bit difficult to interpret this passage. The question comes naturally, and maybe it's in your mind too, is God, after having encouraged them in chapter 1, with their obedience in their beginning, he stirred up their spirits to work on the temple. Is God now saying good night and goodbye to all of that and telling them now it's all being for nothing because what they've been doing at the temple is unholy? And I want to suggest to you that's not the intent here. I think there's some markers in this text which talk about, which um, portray the fact that what he's saying here is he's taking them back to the time before they began obeying. And this is how it was back then. There were people that were still doing religious things. In fact, when people came back, they were even giving offerings towards the work of the temple. The problem was they didn't do anything about rebuilding the temple. They were giving to the Lord. They were religiously going through the motions, building their paneled houses, but not doing anything about the work of the Lord. 
And from that unholy heart, because they were preoccupied with their own agenda, everything they did religiously was tainted by that. It was unacceptable to God. In chapter 1, when God first confronted the people, he didn't call them my people. He didn't call them the remnant. At that point, he he used this language. So it is with this people and with this nation before me. And so he's wanting them to be warned in the present time, even though their obedience has begun and he's happy with that and he is pleased with what they are doing, he's warning them, don't presume that your holiness is only connected with your outward work in the temple. Sin is contagious. And if you allow yourself to be contaminated by sin and you continue in the work in the temple, it will not then be acceptable to God because sin is contagious. Remember when um, the people of God were about to go into the promised land and Moses um, reflected the concern of God about what was going to happen. He was very worried about the nations that surrounded the promised land for fear that they would be influenced by them and their gods, right? Don't learn the ways of the Ammonites and the Edomites and all these people that surrounded Israel. Don't learn their ways. You be a holy people to the Lord your God. The people that live around you are going to live around you. They sacrifice their children in the fire to their gods, whether it be Molech or Baal or whatever. You be different. Don't allow the nations to influence and contaminate you because they will. I think I think of Solomon, the great king, who, like Saul in one sense, um, began so well, but towards the end of his life he he disobeyed God's word, didn't he? And he accumulated many wives. And not only was that immoral, not only was that against God's standard, but his wives were foreign women and they led his heart astray because they caused him to sacrifice to their gods. So from a nation to another nation, there can be influence. And are we not influenced here in New Zealand by other nations? Whatever uh, source of corruption there might be in another nation eventually ends up on our shores in one way, shape or form. But not just nation to nation, but person to person. By hanging around with the wrong people, we can learn their wrong ways. Proverbs 22, verse 24 says this. And young people, those of you who are younger particularly, listen to this verse. It's really saying, choose your friends wisely because you will become like them. Proverbs 22, 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived because bad company ruins good morals. 
the rottenness of someone else spiritually can have an effect on you. And Jude even says it like this, right at the end. Jude has written about apostates who were influencing the church, and some people may have uh, been influenced by that. But towards the end, he tells you how to treat certain people. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe there's some who've listened to these apostates, these false teachers, and they're, they're doubting Christianity. You want to have mercy on those. And then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. In other words, some people have been taken captive by these false teachers and teaching, and you want to be proactive in getting them out of that. Rescue them from that cult. Do all you can. And then he says this, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What's he talking about there? I think he's talking about actually the false teachers themselves. And you want to be very careful in your interactions with someone who is a proponent of false teaching. You want to have a fear and a healthy spiritual fear of contracting a spiritual disease or being influenced away from the Lord in your interaction with them. Do that with your guard up, is what he's saying. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The picture there is that a sinful person actually contaminates his own (coughs) garments. Um, Used, I think, figuratively there, but just highlighting the point that sin is contagious. Haggai goes a step further than this. Not just contagiousness of sin from nation to nation, person to person, but person to action. Person to action. In other words, if you've got an unholy heart, your work, your holy work on the temple is not going to be accepted to God. Our world wants to give a different definition, a different um, view of sin, doesn't it? A different view of why things are the way they are. In terms of diagnosing what's wrong in a person's life, the easiest thing is to say, well, it's their environment that's causing them to do what they do. The Bible would give a clear diagnosis that a person's errant behavior, sinful behavior, comes from within. It's out of the heart that we operate, isn't it? And if the heart is wicked the hands will perform wicked deeds. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, Jesus says. And that's why he said to the Pharisees, how could you who are evil say anything which is good if your heart's corrupt? How can you do anything that's good? What this doctrine is connected with is the depravity of man. That's not a popular doctrine, is it? Okay, you want to win friends and influence people. Um, don't talk to them about the sinfulness of men and women. You come to Genesis chapter 6, and you see in the time of Noah, this is God's assessment, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Why was it corrupt? Was it because they weren't treating the environment properly? 
No, he gives a reason. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The earth was corrupt and ripe for judgment, not because of the outward environment, but because of their inward hearts, which plagued everything else in the world, and God brought his judgment. I'm only going to preach half my message today. I had another two points, but I just I realized that it's probably pretty hot here today, and I don't want to tax you longer than... Maybe like the Lord when he said, the Bible says that he spoke as much as they could bear, maybe. Um, come with me to Matthew 15 and we'll see if we can wrap up our thoughts here. Matthew 15. I want to get the timing right with the Sunday school as well so that it's not tough for the teachers. Matthew 15, verse 10. Maybe just back up to verse 8. We quoted from this before. 7, verse 7. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Verse 13 says Jesus was really worried about that. No. Verse 13, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. In verse 16, are you, so, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. You know, they, they had just been criticized for, washing, for eating without washing their hands. The Pharisees looked at that and they said, spiritually, that's terrible. You're defiling yourself. Jesus says, it's not an issue as to whether you've washed your hands or not, as to whether it makes you spiritually defiled. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. In verse 17, verse 18, for what comes out of the mouth, proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The Word of God would teach from beginning to end that man's main problem is sin. And sin sometimes is likened to leprosy. And the contagiousness of sin and leprosy has no answer in human terms. It's only God that can make clean. It's only God that can cleanse from within. You can reform yourself outwardly. You can start working on the temple, but while all the while your heart is indifferent to God and still rebellious. You could be 
sitting down on the outside but standing up on the inside. Submissive to God outwardly but rebellious on the inside, inwardly. And you will affect others with your sin. And the message of the gospel is simply this, that there is a remedy for wicked hearts. There is a remedy for those who realize their corruption deep within and like Isaiah cry out, Woe is unto me from a man of unclean what? lips. And he was the, probably the, one of the best of the day, a prophet. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. When he saw the holiness of God, he saw the sinfulness of his own heart and the sinfulness of his own speech because his speech was connected with a dirty heart. And this is where the text brings us today. I know we've only got through a few of the verses, but here it is. It brings us to a place like Psalm 51, where we cry to God, Create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Only God can do that. And through the shed, work, shed blood of Christ upon the cross for sinners, there is forgiveness and there is cleansing to the one who will come, repent of their sins, and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And until that happens in a person's life, every religious act that they ever do is unacceptable before God. You want an example? Just take Nicodemus. The teacher in Israel comes to Jesus by night and Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you the truth, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, for all your religiousness, you're still outside the kingdom. You're still unacceptable before God and you too must be born again and when we are Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 would tell us that we are created in Christ Jesus to do what? to do good works you've got to be created anew before we can ever please God and even as a Christian you're already a Christian that's happened in your life if there's other things that are not right if you're not walking with the Lord Whatever you do in your Christian life by way of service is in some way defiled by that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray this morning like the psalmist, Lord, see if there be some wicked way in me and lead us in the way everlasting, Lord. May we, Lord, never be those who just go through the motions of outward service would help us to deal with our hearts Lord and not to deceive ourselves restore O Lord the honour of your name in our lives we pray that you would reign in our hearts Lord Lord we see our sin we see our corruption Lord and we know the potential for that to affect others Cleanse us, forgive us, Lord, this day. Help us to walk with you in holiness and that by your grace. In spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.